It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'd like to consider myself a pretty cheerful person. Some might even use the phrase happy go lucky. I'm smiling at strangers on the elevator. I am uh, saying good morning and good night when I enter and leave our building to the anonymous doorman. And so often it seems that I am encountering crankiness. And I always struggle to figure out why are people so cranky? Is there some memo about being uptight that I just missed? What are all these people so upset about? Life's pretty good. Well, I have to tell you, one of the best opinion pieces that I have read in a long time was in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. And this was probably the best explanation that I've come across thus far as to why somebody would be, if not cranky, at least a crank. The uh, headline of the piece was called My Life as a Neighborhood Crank. It was written by an absolutely brilliant writer. And if anyone can elevate being a crank to an art form, it might be this man, Mark Healy, formerly an editor at Men's Journal, GQ, and Rolling Stone. And these days, is the Vice President of Content at Ciros. Mark, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, thanks for having me, Frank. I appreciate it. Did I pronounce that correctly? Ciros? Ciros, yeah. Ciros. And I, I left there in April of last year. All right. Uh, well, obviously, that brings us to our current situation, which might yeah. be the roots, uh, the roots of your neighborhood crankness. Um, so <laughs> the subheadline of your column was when you have no job and too much time on your hands, the little things begin to grate. Now, uh, I'm, I think our listeners are probably less familiar with Seros, but a lot of folks are familiar with Men's Journal, GQ, and Rolling Stone. And we've been reading a lot of headlines about layoffs or, if you want to use the polite term, restructuring within the media industry. How did you come to find yourself unemployed from all of those prestigious organizations? Well, as I, you know, the magazine industry died a slow death and is is still uh, contracting and and collapsing as we speak, as is media in general. And so you have, um, you know, I wrote it out as long as I could. And I had 20, uh, what did I have, uh, you know, 27 years of, uh, of and really good years of, of working in magazines and editing magazines and working with really talented, fantastic people. But that industry is drying up and withering. And as I say in my piece, they're, they've kind of handed it off to younger, better hydrated people um, <laughs> who are, you know, who are, who are cheaper and less well-trained, but they're, I hope they have as much fun as we have. Um, and then I worked at Saros and I, Saros uh, is a great tech company and a, a software, a design software platform. And uh, I was able to work there for uh, six years and eventually, you know, they had a couple of really tough quarters. And like every other tech company, they had massive layoffs. And um, I was part of that. So I found myself on the street with way too much time on my hands. And for the first time in my life, uh, my first time in my adult life, um, uh, really having nowhere to be, nowhere to go. No one needed me for anything. My children are grown and out of the house at the moment. 
So it, it, it was a, it was a, I found myself in this very strange moment where uh, suddenly I'm, I have too much time and I'm looking around and everything is irritating. A couple of interesting uh, things based on what you just said. One, a lot of our listeners may find themselves awake right now because there have been changes in their life. Either they've recently retired, maybe they're recently laid off, maybe they find themselves uh, without a partner for the first time because of a divorce or a, a death of a, a spouse. And a lot of folks will call me from time to time or, or they'll write me saying that they worry a great deal, which is why they're awake right now, about their finances and their financial security. Even though you're not working now and you have uh, a lot of this time on your hands, which we'll get into how that's manifesting itself, are you financially secure? Are you a couple of weeks away from being put out on the street? No, no, I'm I'm definitely not a couple of weeks uh, from being put out on the street. But thanks for your concern. If that was concern, was that concern? Mild. It was. It was me? certainly curiosity. But if you need a, if you need a twenty or a cup of coffee, you know, we have a free coffee <laughs> machine here. Okay, great. I'm actually, you know, I've been busy. I've been writing uh, projects that I work on. Uh, I I head up content projects for lots of different people. It's not doesn't take up all of my time. Uh, my wife and I have been working uh, nonstop since uh, in her, you know the late '80s. So. Um, we're fine, but, um, but it is, I did hear the interesting thing or the, the sort of rewarding part of this was hearing from all of these people who encouraged me to, you know, hang in there and keep writing and, you know, some, the, a common refrain, I, you know, the story got 490 comments in the times mm. before they shut the comments off. Um, and so many of them were, were kind of some of them were kind of bizarre and hilarious and, and awesome in, in a way. And yet um, a lot of, so many of them were warm and encouraging. And I just, uh, uh, that was a great experience for me. So you have a lot of time, but not necessarily the imminent concern about eviction that some people who are newly unemployed might be, uh, might be dealing with. And a lot of the episodes you chronicle in the, in this piece deal with how you're spending this newfound time. And I would chronicle it as, or I would characterize it as a newfound mindset on your part. Were you immediately cognizant that you were seeing things? differently and seeing the world differently than when you were an overemployed person? No. Um, I, when I was, um, when I took a picture of the G wagon on, uh, that was parked in the crosswalk, uh, with my phone, as I walked the dog, I realized I, I, this wasn't the first picture I've taken of this particular G wagon, which is pathetic. And I was like, don't I have anything better to do than to chronicle this terrible Parker? You know, because this guy, this person, I say guy, I'm not sure it's a guy. He's incapable. He he parks in the middle of the street. He parks on the sidewalk. He parks in the crosswalks. He parks by the fire hydrant. And I should just, you know, live and let live and, and you know, just go about my business. And yet it's grating to me because um, the, the uh, I, I just feel like it's kind of a, a, a breach of the social contract a little bit to park on the sidewalk. And so even though the story hinges upon me, um, a German shepherd who's relieving himself in the sidewalk, it was really the, 
taking pictures of the G-Wagon made me realize what an old loser I'd become. <laughs> We're talking with Mark Healy, formerly an editor at Men's Journal, GQ, and Rolling Stone, now unemployed and uh, the writer of this terrific piece, which I just linked to on my Facebook page. People can check it out at facebook.com slash Moranofan. My life as a neighborhood crank when you have no job and too much time on your hands, the little things begin to grate. Now, I love, um, you know, I, I have much more of a passive-aggressive personality than it sounds like you do. I observe many of these same things that you observe, but rather than going and confronting people, I'll save them for an 18-minute story on the radio. Uh, but I get bothered by some of these same things. And that's why I wonder if you're accurate in, chron- in, in characterizing yourself as a neighborhood crank, because I'm looking at several of the things that you itemize here, the German shepherd relieving his bowels on a Brooklyn sidewalk, the uh, Mercedes G-Wagon parked in the crosswalk. And a lot of folks view you as kind of a hero because you're the guy that stands up and says something about the things that are bothering everybody. Why do you call yourself a neighborhood crank rather than someone that's speaking up on the side of justice? Well, I think justice is a strong word. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to, to reserve uh, justice for situations and injustices that really warrant it. Um, and there are plenty of those to go around. Mm. I think that, you know, and I, I, I don't know if anyone sort of sees me as a hero, but I did stand up and did, did sort of call out some things that I saw. Um, you know, I think people are, you know, people obviously, you know, New York City is um um huge and uh ever moving and crowded it contains you know people speaking a zillion different languages it can it you know the poorest people live among the very wealthiest it's a big crazy place and we you know step on each other's toes and we get in each other's faces and it's inescapable right i mean if you live in the city you understand that human contact with other humans whether you know them or choose to have contact with them uh is just part of the deal it's like it's the bargain and we have to sort of respect those boundaries and i think that we're we're actually better at it than most of the people in that i've come across i think people who live in cities have a higher tolerance for uh their fellow humans so you find yourself with a whole lot of extra time at the moment and behaving differently than you otherwise would have. You're uh, confronting the uh, the inconsiderate dog walker. You're confronting the inconsiderate parker. Do you think part of your reaction uh, to these individuals and other incidents is also a manifestation of your frustration about where you are professionally at the moment, getting laid off from your nice tech job and not being able to write full-time in uh, magazine journalism right now? That's a good observation. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I think that what I tried to express in the piece is how you feel kind of left out of the, you know, sidelined a little bit. You're benched from, you know, New York City life, city life in general and American life is very much based on your occupation, how you do, being busy, um, you know, the hustle. And when you're sort of sidelined, even partially, you know, because I was still chasing down this, you know, this story or 
working on this project or something. I was keeping myself reasonably busy, but you're still, you're out of the hustle and flow of the, of the real action. And that's the part that's difficult because suddenly you feel as if you get a taste of what it's like to be retired. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We have a lot of folks listening around the country, and they may not kind of be up on the New York lifestyle, which you describe so accurately, not only in this conversation, but in this piece. And you write that minding one's business is a bedrock feature of the New York social social contract. And you're so right. And you write that it's one that arguably supersedes all other issues, including the collective responsibility to maintain a feces-free sidewalk. Once you came to realize that you're no longer adhering to the social contract that the rest of us New Yorkers are adhering to of just minding our own business and ignoring anyone and everyone around us. Did you notice that any New Yorkers were treating you differently? Are they looking at you? Are they staring at you? Are they pointing at you and saying, oh, there's the town crank or the neighborhood active citizen? I didn't wear a sign. I didn't walk around, you know, uh, telling everyone this, frankly. <laughs> but no, I, they didn't. You know, I will tell you, though, the, the original sort of, I, the, the original name I had was Uncle Karen. <laughs> because that's a funny name I had. Well, I think it's funny anyway. That's a name I had for, for this character I was becoming. So it was kind of like um, um, I turned it into a little bit of a character. But the Times, in their wisdom, said, you know, why use a racially charged um, nickname like Karen? You know, it has this connotation. And they said it would just distract from what would normal what would otherwise be a really healthy conversation of people relating oh, to the story uh, and i think yeah, they were right yeah i i suppose but um you mentioned that this was your little bit of uh, taste of retirement and um, you say that the one thing no one tells you about getting laid off is how it ages you I've noticed a lot of friends of mine seem to age almost instantly, almost overnight once they leave their jobs. I'm talking people that were 70, 71, 72, 75 who are as, you know, uh, adwert and as uh, with it as any 35-year-old. And then the minute that they, uh, they retire, they become an old person. And I've seen it also manifest physically as well. I know you're talking about behavioral changes and behaviorally acting like an older person uh, saying, hey, kids, you know, turn down that damn music. But have you noticed physically that you feel any older? No, I don't feel physically. I don't feel older. Um, But I, I do understand that, you know, I think what's happening or what happens to as you said, your friends who retire at 71, 73, 75, whatever, is they lack, they, they give up their purpose. And, you know, they, they, um, they, they give up this thing that, that sustains their sort of curiosity and challenges them and um, gives them kind of, you know, 
uh, an organizing factor around which to sort of live their life, you know, and you take that out. It's a very hard thing to replace. You also talk about how um, the passage of time is different. You know, if I have one daily wish every day, it's that I wish I just had another hour or two to get things done. You don't feel that way anymore. No. And I, and it was, it was a pretty sudden shift. Um, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, I have a, a little bit more time than, than I, uh, than I, than I, you know, ever imagined having. And, and, um, I hope I'm looking forward to the time when I don't have nearly enough, but it was a confluence of things. So, it's, you know, losing, losing my job, um, my kids going off to college, um, you know, uh, just not, you know, the, the, both of those things came and suddenly I was like, I had a lot of time on my hands. I've often fantasized about what it would be like to have extra time. I, I can see myself reading more. I can see myself watching that classic movie that I haven't gotten around to, uh, calling up old friends to, uh, to catch up, uh, to uh, exercise a little bit more and do all these things that I never seem to get around to. It, it seems like with you, the fantasy of, uh, more time as a luxury didn't exactly meet reality. How come you know it's another good question frank that I haven't really um maybe if i was a stronger stronger personality and had more character and drive no i i think that um i think that it's a combination of things i i, I do do things i you know i i am active i i work out i uh see friends i do some volunteer work i do some work and yet still at you know nine forty five every night, I look at my and suddenly I'm I'm looking I look at my phone. I was like, oh, thank God I can go to bed. <laughs> you know, it's almost ten o'clock. I can go to bed. I can't like just I can't I I can't like honestly go to bed before ten o'clock. It's not in my in my I just can't do that. But ten o'clock I can go to bed. You have a wonderful phrase in your piece called the time inequality gap, which I just love and uh, am going to adopt because you describe yourself as now being the kind of person everyone dreads making plans with. This is certainly true in my case because I find that I never have enough time. And when I'm when I've made plans for someone could be two weeks from now, three weeks from now, a month from now. My hope is that between now and whenever I'm supposed to see them, they will cancel and they'll be the bad guy and I'll get credit for the attempted socialization or the attempted meeting and yet still now have that hour free from that obligation. I am, uh, clearly you're not the guy I should be making a lunch date with. You, you know, you shouldn't because as I said, it's like making a lunch date with your grandmother. Like and that is locked down. I will be there. I will be on time and I'm not going to cancel. <laughs> um, what is the best thing about your newfound time freedom? Oh God, that's a good, you know, I, 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 the, the problem, the, the challenge is to, you waste so much time when you're at, when you're out of work, you waste so much time and energy getting, finding new work. So, you know, and that's an inevitable sort of time suck. Um, and certainly an effort, you know, waste of effort in a lot of cases, uh, I think one of the things I I have managed to slow down a little bit, and I was not 
I was not a person who, and I'm still not a, a person who sits still uh, as much as I would like. And I think that that's a real skill. And uh, it's something that we all should, should get better about nurturing in ourselves is the ability to do nothing, to um, take a nap, take a bath. I definitely take a lot of baths. Mm. And sometimes followed by a nap. I will do that. I don't care. I'm, I'm only, you know, I'm only 56 years old, but I will take a bath and take a nap on a Wednesday if I want to. But it doesn't happen that often. I think that's great. Um, one of the things that we've seen, and we've been talking with Mark Healy, I hope you'll check out this piece in the uh, style section of the New York Times headline, My Life as a Neighborhood Crank. One of the things that uh, I think everybody has observed, especially if you're a seasoned citizen, is that there does seem to be a little bit of discrimination against older people. I mean, you'd never know it by who's leading our country or poised to lead our country, but it seems like when it comes to marketing, when it comes to um, trying to come up with what TV shows uh, that uh, are going to be pushed on the networks or, or really anything else that there is a, a almost a, a thinking or an idea that old people don't count. I mean, I see it in this uh, in the ratings for this show. We kill it with older, older demos, and I'm very proud of that. But people that are cynical or critical of what I'm doing, they'll say, oh, you, know, you may be number one, but you're number one with a bunch of old people. My question for you, Mark, is being in this forced pseudo-retirement, has this given you an appreciation for older folks that you didn't have previously? Yes, totally. And I, and I, I was not someone who was terribly empathetic toward old people. I mean, I, I wasn't. I was in a way that I now regret because, as I say, and as, and as you, you just sort of pointed out, people for like when the, when the forces of marketing move past caring about appealing to you when, you know, when cor- when big corporations are sort of moving you, a- moving you aside and telling you, you don't really matter that much. We don't care if you don't know how to log into your Hulu account. Mm-hmm. We don't care if you, you know, your iPad charger changes all the time. If you can't keep your landline phone or if your newspaper, the hard copy of your newspaper didn't get delivered on time. Yeah, they just and the, these are these are and I know that these are com- commercial um, decisions that are made, but you know you get shunted aside. Mm. And I think there's a there are examples of that, not just in terms of of um, you know of commerce and uh, appealing to people. Society pays less and less attention to the needs American society uh, to the needs of older people. And I think there's some some injustice. That's an actual injustice. Um, And I think that other cultures that I've seen are much better about that because typically they have multi-generations living in one home or they live closer to their parents or um, and, you know, one thing I definitely talk to my mom more than I I, I did before. So that's one upside. Um, But um, but, yeah, I think that's real. And I think that's not something I appreciated. I was more in the business of uh, helping usher them aside rather than paying attention mm-hmm. to their need to being empathetic. Mm. Uh, well, well said, Mark. Uh, this is one of the best pieces that I've read in the Times in a long time. Congratulations. I'm glad it's gotten such a, a great response. I hope people that uh, that haven't read it yet after hearing our conversation will do that. And, hey, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see you back in the job market sometime soon. 
I hope so. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Mark Healy, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can certainly do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.